Good morning, church family. We are uh, beginning our, our worship this morning. It is uh, 1030, and uh, I am excited to be able to share this morning with you. Um, we have some announcements to remind you about, things that we want to make sure you are aware are coming up, and so I'm going to go ahead and uh, put those on the screen here. Uh, the first is just our regular weekly updates. Uh, we have small groups that are going on. Uh, one of them is on hiatus for a little while, just uh, with summer travel plans and such. Um, but we, we want to remind you, if you are interested in being a part of an online small group, you can do that. Uh, and you can actually reach out to the office if you have questions about times or dates or anything along those lines. Uh, also, we have some home groups that are started and in place. Um, if you are interested in attending a home group, being involved in Sunday morning worship in someone's home uh, with other members of the congregation, we want to invite you to email the church office. Uh, up here on the screen, you'll see office at newburgcfc.com. If you have uh, a desire to be a part of a home group, if you have prayer requests, uh, or you want to be added to the uh, weekly updates that we send out, our, our bulletin, uh, our midweek updates that are uh, oftentimes prayer requests and other pieces of information people may uh, find beneficial or useful, we want to encourage you to email the office because uh, Norma does a fantastic job of making sure that people stay connected um, and in touch. Uh, also, if you want to be added to our, our uh, prayer list, uh, you can email Norma and she'll make sure that Randy uh, gets your information and uh, shares prayer requests with you. Um, so, uh, all of that to say, uh, communication with the office is a positive thing. Uh, we have uh, a lot going on, even as we're not in person at the building, uh, there are still plenty of opportunities for us to be connecting with one another and involved in each other's lives. So I encourage you to uh, take the most of the, or make the most of those opportunities. Um, again, uh, Virtual VBS is currently uh, accepting registrations. You can find those registrations on the church website, uh, which is newbergcfc.com. Um, if you go there, uh, you can find a link to the registration. Um, you can register as an entire family, and this gives Norma the opportunity to make sure that we have all the supplies we need for uh, your at-home VBS uh, program. And we've got activities planned, we have games planned, we have uh, lessons and song times planned. Uh, all of this is gonna be uh, accessible and we think very easy for families to participate in, uh, regardless of your, your skill set. If you're not a teacher, uh, there will still be plenty that uh, your kids can get out of, uh, out of our VBS program this year with the online tools that we're utilizing. Um, so all that said, uh, make sure that you're checking the, the church website or Facebook or uh, that you are a part of the email list so that we can make sure that you are aware of the things that are going on. Um, we're gonna move into uh, uh, our scripture reading time. Um, Greg Williams has provided it for us and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from him this morning. So let's, uh, let's hear from him. Spirit that does not 
This is the spirit you need to face, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to them, but whoever is not from God does not listen to them. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So this morning we are continuing this series that we're calling Bad Yeast, and we're talking about uh, teachings that oftentimes cause harm to the development of the church, to us being the kind of body that God has called us to be in Jesus Christ. Um, and so I, I want to I let you know that these last few weeks uh, we've covered some pretty big topics, some, some things that I think are uh, tremendously important for us to know and to understand um, because they are core to who we are as Christians, to the confession that we make in our lives. And so this morning, we are actually looking at uh, this idea of how, how, we, uh, how we approach our testimony about Jesus. Uh, I want to remind you of the verse that uh, was just read. If you take a look here, 1 John chapter 4, John is writing to early Christians. He's, he's writing to the church, and he's trying to encourage them to hold fast to sound teaching, just as Paul encouraged Timothy to teach sound teaching, to discourage false teaching. Here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, we read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Um, we, we struggle with that sometimes, this idea that a spirit could appear to us and provide us with some kind of uh, false teaching. But John believed that that was the possibility. Paul believed it was the possibility. They encourage us not to believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Um, there are two things at play here uh, that I think are, are maybe very profoundly interesting to most of us. Uh, the first is that uh, spirits can either confess or not confess Jesus. And John tells us that any spirit that says Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that is a clear sign that this spirit's not from God. He also says that there's such a thing as the Antichrist. Uh, sometimes in popular uh, uh, culture, the term Antichrist has come to mean a specific individual who will stand and defy uh, the church. It will stand in defiance of Jesus publicly, and people will be led astray by that individual. The truth is, when we read in scripture about the Antichrist, we are reading about those who are against Christ, and not just a singular individual, but all those that would uh, maybe speak falsely 
of Jesus, uh, make false confessions about him, lead people astray through teaching that maybe sounds good, but is contrary to the truth of the gospel. The Antichrist is not one individual. The Antichrist is a system of being that stands in defiance of the truth of the gospel. And here John is encouraging us to avoid both the false spirits and anything or anyone that would teach against the gospel. And he continues uh, several more verses here. Little children, and this is John's way of, of being familiar and warm and kind uh, as, as kind of a father in the church. Little children, you are from God. And have overcome them, these antichrists, the false spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So uh, this idea of error is significant in the early church. Uh, It's significant in Christian history that there's truth and then there's kind of this other thing, something that hovers in proximity to truth but is not truth. It masquerades as truth. It is the Antichrist. It is the uh, false spirit, a spirit not from God. It's false teachers, And you notice that one of the key things that John talks about here is a a specific, clear confession of truth about Jesus. Jesus came in the flesh. Now, uh, if you take a look at the, the title for this week's sermon, it's, But Jesus Wasn't. There was a a whole sect of Christians or people who claimed to be Christians that we talked about a little bit last week, these Gnostics who claimed that they had secret knowledge. And one of the elements of Gnosticism, or at least a branch of Gnosticism, was a, a belief that the material world itself was so uh, inherently bad that Jesus, to be our Redeemer, could not have come in the flesh because that would mean that he was a part of the material world and that um, because material things are inherently bad in their thinking, this is not a Christian thinking, by the way, uh, because material things were inherently bad, Jesus could not have had a material body. And so when he was on the cross, he was kind of putting on a play act. He was, not, uh, he was not physically wounded, uh, but maybe some spiritual wounding was happening. This is a false teaching. It's a, a statement by people that says, but Jesus wasn't this thing that you think. It's standing in contradiction to the gospel. It, it was a dangerous teaching. Uh, there were others that taught that Jesus wasn't the divine son of God, that he was not co-equal to the father, that the spirit was not co-equal to the father, uh, that there was no trinity, essentially. Now, the trinity, the, the term is not necessarily found in scripture, but the concept is there. And it's important for us to understand that when we read scripture, when we read the story of the gospel, we see very clearly what the early church believed, what Jesus taught about himself the truth of the gospel, the things that are real, 
the things that we should hold as important and significant in our understanding of who we are as Christians. There's ways that Jesus behaved. There are things that he said. There are things that he did. And those things are important for us to hold fast to. In fact, uh, a, a week ago, we were looking at the book of First Timothy. And Paul writes to Timothy uh, this statement, and I want you to hear it. Uh, this is from First Timothy chapter uh, uh, 6, starting in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, these false teachings, these, these, these things that we should avoid. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul encourages Timothy two things here. Hold fast to the confession that you made. And how do you do that? Well, he tells him, fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life. Now, I want to be uh, uh, frank with you this morning. Sometimes we misuse the term eternal life. It does mean uh, uh, immortality to some extent. But notice that it's only Jesus who has immortality. We receive immortality through him. But eternal life and immortality are two different terms. And eternal life is not just the idea of living forever, but it is a quality of life that is eternal by nature. It's a specific way of being, a specific way of living. When we read about eternal life in scripture, we are reading about both a life that extends beyond today into eternity, but also a life that follows specific qualities. Paul is encouraging Timothy, live eternal life and hold fast to your confession. And these two things are, are paired together. They're, they're intermingled with one another. They are essential to one another. You can't have one without the other. It's love and marriage sort of situation, although uh, I'm not going to digress. Um, our confession of Jesus and our quality of life are linked. And if you take nothing else from this morning's sermon, nothing else sinks in, nothing else seems important to you, I want you to understand this. Our, our quality of life, not how well we live from a worldly standpoint, but how well we live from a heavenly standpoint, is inherently linked to our confession, the things that we say about Jesus. That's, I believe, what Paul is telling Timothy here. 
that not only is the confession that you've made with your mouth significant, but also the confession you've made with your actions, with your hands, the things that you do, the way that you live. And I want to talk this morning a little bit about um, a specific confession of the early church. I'm going to bring this up on screen here. Uh, I think that this this particular graphic is uh, kind of a fun, interesting way to look at uh, the early church. Uh, this is, and, uh, and you may not be able to see it particularly well, but this is a picture of what we call the Apostles' Creed. Now, uh, traditionally in the Churches of Christ, we don't really like creeds because uh, sometimes we feel like it's reductive theology, that it, it uh, boils things down too finely. I think that there's some benefits to creeds. And uh, you can't read this probably. Uh, John Germain probably can because John's got a, a good uh, mind for Greek. Uh, Sean is probably looking at Kyle. You know, we've got people who probably can read some of these words. But up here on the screen, you see the apostles. And tradition says, although this is kind of not necessarily the way it actually worked, that each of the apostles made a statement about the faith that became a creed that was passed through the church. Now, that's not actually how it happened. But uh, the early church had had a creed. Uh, that we know was formalized sometime in the second century, and people talked about their faith using this creed. It was a way of making sure that people didn't fall into specific errors, specific ways of thinking about uh, God or about Jesus or about eternal life or about uh, the life of Jesus, not just his, his divine and human nature. Uh, but the actual way in which he lived. And these uh, Christians would confess this creed. And so I want to share with you uh, the translation of this creed. It's going to be up here on your screen, and we're going to walk through it piece by piece. And uh, I don't think that this is necessarily the only way that we can think about uh, uh, Jesus, and, and it's not a complete and exhaustive list of good theology, but it's maybe a good place to start this morning. The first statement was this, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now you can argue with me about the punctuation because uh, there was no punctuation in Greek. I think this is the correct punctuation, but we'll continue on. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is a statement of belief about God, about his nature, about uh, his role in the existence of all things. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. These are statements about Jesus and what we believe about him. Jesus Christ, those two words together, Jesus, the Anointed One, Jesus, the Messiah, his only Son, the only one who can claim to share uh, the nature of the Father is the Son. And he is not just our Savior, our Messiah. He is our Lord. This is a confession that's being made. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of Mary, the Virgin. This says that Jesus' origin was both divine and human. That he was born not just of God or of a woman, but both. That his conception depends on divine and human elements. His, his birth into this world 
hangs, hinges on both of those things. And that Mary was a virgin, that Jesus was unconnected to uh, uh, procreation through uh, human means. In addition to that, uh, they said he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. These are statements about what Jesus did at the end of his life. Now, uh, one of the biggest issues I have with this particular creed is that it skips from his birth to his death. And uh, N.T. Wright has often said the problem with this is that Jesus lived a very significant life. Maybe not significant in his own time in that uh, uh, it was limited to a specific region in the world, but what he did in that time, the model he sets for us, his behaviors, his attitudes, his way of thinking, those are all tremendously significant. And the problem with many creeds is that they skip so much of what Jesus did in life and move straight to his suffering, his death, and his burial. But we believe that Jesus was crucified, that he suffered, that he died, that he was buried, and then he descended into death, the state of being that is not living. Then we continue on. He says, on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. Jesus overcame death. And it's not just a, a spiritual death, but a, a physical death. He rose from the tomb in which he was buried. He ascended into heaven. Well, if he only rose spiritually, then his ascension into heaven would not be all that significant. But he rose physically and then ascended into heaven. This is a confession. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is, he is enthroned. He shares rule in heaven. This is part of our confession. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. There is a day in the future when, when Jesus will return and he will judge all those who are still alive and those who have passed before. We believe this about Jesus because we've read the Bible and we know what Jesus says about himself and we know what the Bible says about Jesus. In addition to that, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit that dwells within the hearts of Christians. The Holy Church, Catholic. Now, maybe you're balking at that word Catholic. Let me be clear. When the early church uses the word Catholic, they're talking about unity. The singular, unified church, Catholic, the communion of saints. The Holy Church, Catholic, the communion of saints, these are all essentially the same thing. One church, unified in the confession that's already come before. The forgiveness of sins. We don't believe that Jesus uh, just redeems us and then doesn't forgive our sins, that he did something in this world that has no bearing on our eternal state. We believe that all that's come before this is towards something. The forgiveness of our sins. The resurrection of the body. We believe that there will come a time when Jesus returns and those who are dead will be raised into either eternal life or eternal condemnation. And the life everlasting. Amen. This is what we call the Apostles' Creed. It is uh, the, one of the earliest ways in which the church tried to uh, create something that would allow them to combat false teachings, these false spirits, these antichrists. 
And it was imperfect. It's not a perfect confession. There are things that, as I said before, I think should be a part of it that aren't. There are things that are, are in it that are not perfectly worded because these are the words of human beings. But it's a confession. It says something about Jesus. It says something about uh, what they believed, who they were, uh, what they aspired to be, and how they were going to uh, take those words and apply them to life was just as significant as the words themselves. Because when Paul tells Timothy to live eternal life and to hold fast to his confession, he's telling him what you confess with your mouth should be seen in your body. Or as James puts it, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This is the point this morning, uh, and this may end up being one of my shortest sermons. We are called to confess with our bodies the truth of who we believe Jesus is. It's great if we can recite the words that say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I believe that he came into this world as the divine son of God, that he had a physical body, that he, he lived and, and died and rose for me. But if our lives don't confess that, then we are living a, a false confession. If I walk around in my daily life and I say, my, my uh, belief is in Jesus and, and he has changed my life, he is my Lord and Savior, and then I live in a way that is contrary to Jesus, I am making a false confession about him. I'm telling people, but Jesus wasn't If, if I am unloving or unkind to my, my brother or sister in Christ, but to those who are in the world, I am telling people Jesus wasn't kind. If they know that I'm a Christian and my activities don't properly reflect Jesus, I am making a false confession about who I believe Jesus to be. If I proclaim I am a Christian, I wear the name of Jesus in my day-to-day -day life, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and then I turn around and I belittle people. I treat people badly. I, I, I devalue those who are oppressed or suffering or poor or, or otherwise marginalized. I am making a confession about Jesus, whether I, I realize it or not. As someone who bears the name of Christ, I can either make a good confession or a bad confession. And through my actions, I either say Jesus was or Jesus wasn't. And it is so essential for us to be able to clearly define to people who Jesus was. It is so key that our actions 
reflect our words. That when we make a confession about Jesus, when we say that we believe that he was the good shepherd who would leave the 99 for the sake of the one, when we say that we believe that he is uh, the, the father of the prodigal son looking off in the distance for those who have wandered away and, and prepared to receive them warmly and kindly uh, to throw a feast in their honor as they return home, but we don't live that way. We are making a false confession about Jesus. I am humbled by this thought. I, I want to be clear this morning. This sermon is as much for me as it is for anyone else because I know that there have been plenty of times in my life where my actions have served as a false confession about the nature of the one I claim as my Lord and Savior. In fact, uh, the thing that comes to mind, and, and I'm not necessarily holding Gandhi up as a, a fantastic example of uh, human living. I think there were some great things he did, but I want to be clear, uh, Gandhi is not scripture, just like the Apostles' Creed is not scripture. It reflects many of the ideas in scripture. But this is what Gandhi said about Christians. He said, I, I love your Christ, but your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Christians that Gandhi knew had made a poor confession about Jesus. Now, maybe there was some judgment in those words, uh, some, some expectation about who Jesus was that he wasn't. But I want to be clear this morning. Our actions are, are our confessions. The way that we live, it doesn't provide us salvation. Jesus provides us salvation. He alone has uh, immortality. He alone is the one that will judge the, the, the living and the dead. But they make a confession about Jesus. And they either lead people towards him or they lead people away from him. My words, my, my uh, interactions with other people, the way I pursue mercy and justice and peace, the way that I pursue righteous living, those things are a confession of Jesus. And if I don't pursue those things and still claim to be a follower of Christ, I am also confessing something wrong about Jesus. So I want to encourage you this morning. This is, this is where I'm leaving off. Consider both your words about Jesus, but also how your actions confess or deny the truth of Jesus. Because we could very easily say uh, a lot of true things about Jesus. We, we have it down for the most part. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again uh, to cover my sin, to, to bring me atonement with God, uh, to, to uh, allow me to have eternal life. He lived a perfect life. He was human and divine at the same time. We can say those things. But if our lives don't confess it, do we really believe it? Are we just hearers or reciters, maybe, of the word, but not doers of the word? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are aware that our words and our actions are not always in harmony with one another, that sometimes we live in ways that deny the truth that we believe. And God, I, I confess that I do that uh, far more often than I wish. 
that I struggle. As Paul says, there is a, a fight within me that the things I want to do, I do not do. And that the things that I do not want to do, I find myself doing anyway. But you've told us that your spirit resides in us. And that if we lean into your spirit, if we trust your spirit, if we listen to the voice of your spirit, and we hold fast to the confession, and we live a life that reflects eternal life, that we can overcome. That we have overcome this world because you have overcome this world. And we owe it to so many around us to show that triumph, to show that victory. Help us to be good confessors this week. Not just to speak the words of belief, but to live a life of belief. Because there are a lot of people that know what we say about Jesus who do not see it in our actions. Help us to be people who who love you with both our mouths and our works. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, we have another opportunity to confess Jesus. Uh, we have uh, this, this bread and we have this cup. And, and we take these two elements for a number of reasons. We take them, first of all, to remind us of the body that we are a part of. We, we remember that we are a part of the body of Christ, the bread. We remember that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Uh, but we also confess, we believe that he had a physical body, that he shed real blood. We believe that, that those elements were given for us. And we recommit ourselves in taking the bread and the cup to the work of the body of Christ. This is a recommitment to our confession. And so I invite you this morning, we're going to pray over the bread. We'll take a moment after that to reflect on it. And then we will take the cup together as well. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize that this bread is a part of our confession. That we don't take it just because we're hungry. We don't take it just because it's, it's provided or offered. We take it because we believe something. We believe in the body of Christ, his physical body, and his body that's represented in your people. And we want to be a part of that. And we recognize that to be a part of that, we must confess our belief in his body. Bless the bread that we take together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And now we'll participate in the cup together as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we believe in the blood of Jesus. We believe that it is sufficient, that, that in it we find our, our redemption, that we find our salvation, that we find a, a new life. You tell us in scripture, in the Old Testament, that life is in the blood. You told, you told your people not to take the blood of animals, but you tell your people today to take the blood of your son. Because as we take the blood of your son, we find his life inside of us. And we confess that we need that life because apart from his blood, we don't know what eternal life looks like. Apart from you, apart from your sacrifice, apart from your willingness to redeem us, we don't know what life looks like. And so we need the life that is in the blood. Bless this as we take it together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to remind you that there are still opportunities for you to give. Uh, the church has work to do. We have ways in which we need to confess Jesus through our actions, through the support of those who are hurting, uh, struggling at this time. We do have bills to pay. We do have uh, things that we need to take care of. But more than anything, when we give, we are confessing our belief that that God will manage and steward our money in ways that you know are wiser and beyond our own ways. And so I want to encourage you, if you, uh, if you have not been giving, uh, consider giving. Uh, you can mail in a check uh, or drop it off at the church building. You can set up bill pay through your bank, or you can give online. There's a, a link on our website. There's also a link in the description of this YouTube video down below. If you are not a part of the Newburgh congregation, but you've been worshiping with us, I want to, I want to remind you uh, that your home congregation has work that they can be doing. And we want to pray for them to do, uh, do well, to confess the truth of Jesus to their community. And so uh, if you can, uh, give to your, your local congregation as well. Uh, we are going to move into uh, the, the song portion of our service today. Kyle Williams has picked out our, our worship songs, and I want to thank Kyle for that. I think they're wonderful, beautiful songs. Uh, let's, uh, let's continue our worship. We want to thank you again for being with us this morning. Micah wants to say hello to you all. Uh, so go ahead. Hi. Hi. Uh, glad that we had the opportunity to worship together today. And I want to remind you to go out this week and confess not just with your mouth what you believe about Jesus, but show what you believe about Jesus by the way that you live. Confess him in your life, in, in the way that you present eternal life to other people. Uh, that is that is the best we can do. Uh, they often say that people don't care how much you know until you show how much you care. Uh, I would say that the world doesn't care so much about what we know about Jesus as much as what we reflect about him. And we have to know about him to reflect him well. 
But if we know about him and we don't reflect him well, we speak much louder volume about our actual belief. Love you, and uh, I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great week. Oh, they'll be thinking true things, though, so. Micah's just confessing the truth of who he is, right?